This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So um, I'm going to jump straight into it because there's a lot of scriptures I want to share tonight. But um, we've been talking about our theme scripture, the seeking the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6 verse 33. We believe God is challenging all of us. You know, um, I was speaking to a group of pastors this week and they were saying like, yo, the people have grown so passive as Christians, especially in the West through this lockdown. He's actually struggling to get people back to church, you know, and people because people are growing into the Internet. People are just like um, they've almost gotten a bit lazy. Uh, the only challenge with uh, a bit of that laziness is also that people have done exactly the same in their spiritual life. It's almost like people want to draw back. They want to say like, sure, you know, uh, just give us a break. We have uh, COVID fatigue, you know. Uh, we are discouraged. We are hopeless. We are, um, And it's it's easy in this time to almost lose a bit of hope, to lose a bit of sight because of economy, because of stuff people are saying. Um, but if there was ever a time for the church to arise, it is now. If there's ever a time to change the culture around us concerning community and concerning the kingdom, it's now. Um, and and I want to sort of tonight just share with you that it's wake-up time. It's, uh, it's time to do what believers all across the world and the ages have done. And if the church doesn't, uh, have a voice in this time. The challenge is, is we're going to just fade away with so many other people. Uh, the world is almost going to gonna sort of slick us in, you know. It's almost going to chow us up and uh, and they, then simply the, the church will lose its saltiness. Uh, because if we uh, <clears throat> are not the salt, what does salt do? Salt gives flavor. Salt, salt uh, gives taste. Salt makes you thirsty. Salt uh, <clears throat> sort of really was a preservative in, in the Old Testament. You know, so it was a very um, strong commodity that they traded with. And uh, the scripture says that if the salt loses its flavor, it's thrown underfoot, it's thrown outside and trampled underfoot by the world, by men. And, um, and so it's not time to lose our saltiness. It's not time to, um, <clears throat> to be challenged and to look at our circumstances. Just this morning, right here where I, I'm actually standing, a lady came up to me from the Free State, they brought their first year girl, and she said to me, do you know, a year ago, exactly a year ago, we were sitting in that hall in February, and you said the strangest word. She brought the diary. She said, you said the strangest word in the church that morning. You said, we better make ready because maybe in this year we will not be able to gather like we are gathering right now. What if we are not going to gather right now? Let's be the church. Let's not go to church. She said she actually wrote it down exactly a year ago. And she was sweeping and she said like, wow, it actually really happened like that. Because do you know what? God always, he's always two steps ahead. And so when we are in step with the Holy Spirit, uh, we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so this evening, uh, as we're continuing on this series of first seeking the kingdom and then kingdom relationships, part of that is also that we become a kingdom of priests. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quickly run through a couple of things. What does it mean to be a priest? Uh, a priest is an authorized minister in sacred things, especially one who offers sacrifices at the altar and acts as a mediator between men and God. A priest is a bridge builder, a worshiper, someone who brings an offering. You know, there's a lot of Christians today in the West that have become consumers. And we, we're all like that. The culture is like that, is like the advertising business says to you or creates a need that you don't have. Did you know that? In, I think in the 70s, uh, you must check those old ads. They, they took stuff and threw it on the ground and broke it and drove over it with the car. And they said, this is good quality. Buy this thing because of its good quality. It does not break. And then they started to realize like, no, no, people actually live differently. Let's, let's create something that they, we're going to sell something to them that they actually don't need, but we're going to tell them they need it. And then suddenly they started to play on the emotions and the sensitivity of stuff. And these days they don't advertise the value of stuff. Everything comes, becomes smaller, breaks easier, but it's just like they create a need inside of you. Or they show you something and say, you must buy this and you're not going to be fulfilled without this. Unfortunately, the church um, sometimes now tries to change the world with worldly means. 
and with worldly things. And so even um, why it's so profound that we're sitting out here is because you've come here, not because you are coming for entertainment, but because you want to be here and because we say the church needs to gather. More than ever, the church needs to get together. We need to mobilize the church because there are people that are so hungry out there for God and for the things of God. And so when we become a kingdom of priests, it means that I have a role to fulfill. Each one of us, you know, and that's what's so beautiful. And there's an old model that was always said, like the pastor in front, he's like the main dude, you know, and he's like the guy. He's like the super spiritual guy, but I'm just fulfilling a function. Each one of you have also got a function in the kingdom of God. And it's important that you know what are those gifts, what are the things God has called you to do. Maybe you can bake bread. Maybe you can do muffins. Maybe, you know, this morning a guy came to me and said, Yo, he really has a heart for the poor people and he's going to the shelter and he's checking up with those people and he wants to start a small group. I say, well, I don't have a heart for that, but you go for that, you know. I have a heart for poor people, but not, I, I don't have time, you know. Uh, so you go for it and give us feedback. And him and his wife, they are so excited. They SMS me, WhatsApp me this afternoon already. This is what's happening. And they somehow went this afternoon. And I'm thinking like, wow, they have a passion for that. And they're living that out. And that's what the church should be like. Each one of us are ministers. We are priests unto God. And we're going to look at that. A bridge builder between God and this world, this broken world. And so if you don't understand that you have a certain calling, and that's what we call the priesthood of believers, is that God calls you to do ministry. It's not full-time. Maybe people say, oh, that guy's in the full-time ministry. When I got saved, I always thought like, sure, because the guy who spoke over me and discipled me for two years, he said to all of his friends, this guy's going to go into the full-time ministry. And I thought like, oh, half-time, full-time, at the end of the soccer game, that's when I'm going to run up and preach the gospel, you know, or at the end of the rugby game. And then I realized, no, that's not what full-time means. But I've, I actually thought it for a year. I thought like, what is full-time ministry? I've never heard that word, you know. But he just told people, this guy's going to preach to people. Now, remember, I stuttered, so I couldn't even speak. I thought this is the weirdest thing ever um, until the Holy Spirit said, that's just part of your function. And so, so I want to invite us to be bridge builders. I want us to in, invite us in this time to act as a mediator between men and God. And that's why even when we pray, we're not supposed to pray my father. We're supposed to pray our father because this priest in the Old Testament would actually walk up into the presence of God with all the stones of the tribes on his breast. So he'd represent the people to God and then he would be with God and then he will come out and then he'll represent God to the people. Never speak to the people about God before you've spoken to God about his people. So it's always from first being with God. And once we are with God, then God gives you a mandate. It's not a performance. It's not a trying to do things. And so we looked at this scripture, this profound scripture, Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 25. How many of you were there last Sunday when we shared it in what church, Baptist, or where was it? One or two, just quickly raise your hand when we shed all around this scripture. Some, some of you, okay. So I'm, I'm going to repeat a bit of it, but not a lot. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So we said in the scripture that um, the writer says three things. And after the first one, he makes three statements. So he makes one statement, then three, three sub-statements, and then he makes another two statements. And the first one is he says, you must boldly come to God. Boldly enter because of the blood of Jesus. Not your own righteousness, not what you have achieved, but because of him. And then he says three things. He says, there's a new and a living way, which is through Jesus. Jesus is a high priest over the house of God. And he says, Jesus does stuff in your conscience and gives you, sprinkles your conscience, makes you clean before God. So he says these three things about Jesus. After he said, you must boldly come because of the blood of Jesus. He says, Jesus, hey, he is the new and the living way. There's a high, he's a high priest over the house of God. And he gives you a full assurance and he sprinkles your conscience and he washes your, your body with pure water. And now he says the second thing in verse 23. Are you still with me? We're going to pick up some speed now. Okay, it's, remember you all have shorts on and the wind is blowing through. I have long pants on. I've just been at the camp for three hours and it's hot. So I've sweated and you're sweating, but just think like we're all sweating. Hallelujah. So verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He says, so boldly come to God. When you come to God, there's one thing you must do. Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. What do you say when you stand in the presence of God? Oh, self-pity. Oh, Lord, this is so bad. Lord, have you noticed how bad it is in my life? Lord, like, you know, it's most amazing how we counsel God when we stand in His presence. But there's a confession of your hope. Don't lose that confession of your hope. Don't lose without wavering, it says. So you must hold on and you must not waver when you stand in the presence of God. You've come boldly to Him, not on your own righteousness. But once you are there because of what Jesus has done, He says, you better do one thing. You better hold on to the confession of your hope and don't waver. Jesus is not going to do that for you because the accuser of the brethren will also come and say, Hey, no, Kevin, do you know how bad you are? Kevin, do you know how you wasted up? And he says, No, no, no. Yes, I've wasted. But do you know what Jesus did for me? He cleansed my conscience. But when I'm standing here, I have a hope which is an anchor for my soul. There's a lot of people that are actually losing their minds. Good Christians even in this time. Why? Because they're losing hope. They, they're wavering in their hope. And you are supposed to do that. I can't do that for you. Jesus is not going to do that for you. The angel, Michael, Archangel, Gabriel, no one is going to do it. Nothing. You have to do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you. He's talking about you. Thank you very much for your enthusiasm. I'm getting psyched up here. And... Um, the third thing that he says, and let us not consider one, and let us cons- not, not consider one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So this is the third thing: when you're in the presence of God, consider those around you, exhort them, and exhort is more than edification. Edification means like we build each other, but exhort is we challenge each other. It says. Come on, there's a day. We're living for eternity. Stop focusing just on the things of this world because you're going to be drawn into the things of the world. There's eternity, and we're living for that, for the crown of righteousness that we are going to receive before Him. But He says, hey, we have to stir each other up in love and good works. That's why church in this time is so important. That's why we must reach out to those who are grown passive and have wavered in their hope. Uh, because people will go to that place. Some people are depressed. Some people are oppressed. But I've, I'm seeing a hunger that we have not seen before. Just last Sunday, more than 90 people signed up for the first time to our services. 90 people in one Sunday. So the harvest is coming, and what are you doing about it? No, no, I'm just a consumer, you know, because it's so hot here under the tree, and the pastor is too short, and his jokes is flow. But in any case, so, you know, But I'm telling you, there is absolutely no place for consumers in the kingdom of God anymore. God is looking for laborers. And it is so exciting when you partner with God. You know, just this week, I told the testimony a couple of times. You know, I was was really thinking like this first year's camp and, oh, now we're going to do it. And I said, and somebody out of America that was a first year here in 2008, he sent a message through. He didn't know it was first year's camp time. And his life changed completely in 2008. Just like, Send his parents to come to the office just to come to bring a message. Say, my son in America says, you must go ahead with that camp thing of yours, you know. And I'm thinking like, wow. And then the guy sowed the first fruit into the camp that paid for half of the camp. But hallelujah. You know, I think like, wow, God. Out of another continent, you're sending somebody to send the message because God is, hey, he's going ahead of us. We're not working for him. We're not doing little things. When you're a priest, you're not... You're not, you're not trying this Jesus thing. You've realized that there's something more. You can represent a group of people when you stand before God, represent them to God, and then you can represent God to the world. Whoa. Show. Go to show. Okay. But in a case. So Peter talks about this. Now, this is loudmouth Peter. Peter was crazy. Peter didn't actually want to give other people space. And um, and he was always like on the edge. He was always like, then he cut off people's ears. Then he, he was just like, yo, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you the next time he denies. You know, there's any Peters here? Don't raise your hand too quick. You know, you make these big vows and these big things. And and so so this guy writes about this beautiful picture after he became leader of the church, basically. James, John, Peter, you know. 
Uh, isn't it amazing that God uses nobodies? Even Jesus' own brother <laughs> did not believe that he was the son of God until his resurrection. You know? And he later became one of the leaders of the church. So if, if God gives space for a Peter, I tell you, God has space for you. Yeah? But you need to stick up your hand. You need to say, God, I'm, I'm going to get bit, a bit out of self-pity because self-pity is sin. self bejammering yeah oh lord i don't have this oh then now yanni tani elna gave a testimony last week and it was so beautiful she says they had nothing no food no nothing and then they decide well they're gonna just they're just gonna gather the plastics in their neighborhood for the soup kitchen that we're running for the more than two thousand people we fed every week says we have nothing but what we, we have a whatsapp group so we can go to Onda Papa Heiberg's people and we tell all of them, bring all your old ice cream bucker. And I realized like, wow, that's godliness. In your time of greatest need, what do you do? Oh Lord, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? If you're not here this morning, Alvain, one of Uri's friends, you know, sharing the testimony after his accident and he got disabled on how God challenged him. And now he just swam from where? Robin Island to Bloberg, first paraplegic like athlete to do that. He's done the Ironman. Wow. And I think like, Lord, I have legs that can worship you. But see, we so easily get offended, unthankful. Why? Because the devil wants us to focus just on what we have. But the question is, what is your fish and your bread? Don't tell me there were not other kids and other people in a group of 5,000 people that didn't have food. But there was one boy who brought his fish and his bread. And when we bring it to Jesus, when Jesus prays over it, that's so beautiful. And Peter did this. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 10. Are you with me? Thank you. Give me a sharp, sharp, sharp. I'm just warming up. Okay, so let's go for it. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected in need by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also... So chosen by God and precious. God says, hey, you're precious when you realize the ministry God has called you, the, the place God has called you. But you say, no, no, CS, you know what? I'm just so overwhelmed by all of my needs. I'm so overwhelmed by all of my shortcomings. I'm so overwhelmed by all of my sins. That's the best place to be in <laughs> when you have to be dependent on God. You know, why did Jesus say it's hard for a rich man to enter the, the, the kingdom? Because a rich man depends on himself. Self-made man, I'm like this, I'm like this. I've, I've built my own kingdom. Hmm? You also as living stones are being built up. Turn to your neighbor and say, living stone. You're a living stone. Are being built up a spiritual house. Wow. So even as we're coming... Together, we have to remind ourselves that this is a spiritual house. There may be no walls, but this is so profound. What we are doing here, we're building each other up. And Jesus is building his church. And what is he building it into? He's building up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. He's building up a house for himself where he can dwell with his people. Not come and visit. Jesus is not interested in visiting you on a Sunday or on a Wednesday when you go to a small group. Hey, he's building a house, a holy priesthood. And what is the job? What is the job description of this house of God, this house of Jesus that Peter writes about? This priesthood that he writes says, is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sure, it's a mouthful. My question is, does your life Offer up spiritual, is it a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to Jesus? Not, not is it acceptable to you, is it acceptable to him? <laughs> and uh, the, the most profound prayer you can pray is just say, Jesus, does my life, the, the position of my heart and the place I am in with you right now, does that satisfy you? Are you pleased with me? I tell you, he's going to give you an answer very quickly. And he's probably going to give you a, a, a chapter that he wrote to the church. He says, always, Jesus always comes with like, wow, this is what I love about you. Wow, this is what I affirm about you. But <laughs> you have forsaken your first love. When you get married one day, 
Ask your wife that question, Christoph. Are you pleased with me? And prepare for a list. <laughs> yeah? Why? Because in a relationship, we're supposed to shape each other. You know? You're supposed to have people that can um, point out your weaknesses and your blind spots and not criticize and negative and break you down, but simply, is it acceptable to God? Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and you believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you believe, that's not all of us, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stones which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. So we can see that obedience is crucial to God. The currency of heaven is obedience and faith. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So he's talking about the obedient and the disobedient. And then he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He's called, you, he's called you to yourself. For what? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I was reminded this week. You know, when um, this one guy came to say and ask, he says, like, Pastor, how do, I, how do I become a better Christian? I said, your question is wrong. Nobody can become a better Christian. Jesus doesn't do a patch-up job <laughs> over a long time. They say, well, I, I, loved, I loved God then, but much of it at the beginning was a bit emotional, but now I really love God. Because I've realized that he's faithful, he's kind, he's long-suffering, his mercy are without end. Yeah? And so, so this is so beautiful about what Peter writes. He says, come on, church. <laughs> we're not just meeting together because we're singing a couple of songs. Whether we meet outside, whether we meet on the mountain, it doesn't matter where we meet. But when we come into agreement as to what God is doing, he's raising up a spiritual house. He's building a spiritual house. For what? For his presence. For his glory, for his worship unto him. And he's not a selfish being because the best thing God can do is give himself to you. <laughs> you, you, you. You don't add anything. I don't add anything to God. Your worship doesn't change God. Isn't that amazing? But he's worthy of that worship. He's worthy of your life. So the, the ministry of the believer starts with worship unto God. Okay, I'm running through a couple of things. Are you all still with me? Okay, we're going to pray for people now and lay hands on all of you. Like, like, um, it's worship unto God. And that's what he says. I, the, the writer to the Romans, Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. Every day, present yourself to God. Worship isn't songs. Worship has really not got a lot to do with the songs. We say, oh, that was nice worship. Worship is maybe 5% of worship is songs. 95% is the believer coming to present himself to God. Group of believers coming to say, and this is what Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, I beg you that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. When the sacrifice, not like the Old Testament on the altar, it's a new sacrifice. It's you and me. It's our life, our surrender, our, the Lordship of Christ. So your work, your studies, everything, serving in the church, giving, everything is a sacrifice unto God. Is a worship unto God. And so that's why you have to have a personal altar. You have to have a place where you worship God, where you pray, where you surrender yourself to God. Where you, if you don't have a personal altar and a family place of where you surrender to God, you're going to be in trouble. Because hey, God is not looking for events. He's not looking for fancy breakthroughs. He's looking for that place because it's between you and Him. Worship. One of the words for worship is proskuneo, which means to come towards to kiss. It's an intimate place. It's an intimate place of coming close towards God, of surrendering yourself. So the ministry of the believer, your ministry and my ministry, first ministry is to worship God, to glorify his name. The second one is to make intercession, to be a watchman, to stand in the gap. We've heard that stories of Second Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, repent, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will come and heal their land. Yeah. Nehemiah, it's so beautiful. Nehemiah is uh, this cupbearer in the king's um, courts. 
And so he's got everything together working for him. And then suddenly they read about the city of God, his people. And then the Nehemiah goes to check out the ruins of that city, a city whose walls are broken down. And Nehemiah begins to weep. Nehemiah begins to put himself out for something much bigger than himself. And eventually that whole story of how he, in a record time, rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. It's a beautiful story of what the church must do now. It's the story of Nehemiah. Calling up every family, because he called up every family, some to build, some to make war. One, one you know, sort of um, equipment was building, and the other one was to make war. And so he says, every family, build in front of your house. Every family, build in front of your house. And then in, in the quickest time, that whole wall of Jerusalem was restored. And uh, we need a lot of restoration especially in the church because sometimes you know and we all heard the story of Ravi Zacharias and we all are, are challenged by that and discouraged by that sometimes but it just shows you again it's the ministry of the ordinary believer that changes lives there are no superstars in the kingdom God is not interested in super pastors superheroes and especially when we exalt even apologetics above the gospel when we exalt the ministry above the gospel or above Jesus, then it becomes an idol. We make idols of people so easily. And so intercession or that being a watchman, the watchman would stand on the wall and call out and say, the king is coming, the king is coming. And then the watchman would warn the people of, of danger coming. Those were people placed on the walls. And so part of your life because some of you are going to say like ah no i don't really pray i don't really intercede I'm, I'm not somebody like that well do you breathe because christians understand intercession is like breathing and if you don't understand the value of intercession just go and ask god to show you you know i must tell you this funny story but it's quite a weird story can i can i tell the story Okay, I'm not going to tell the story. Nobody's excited. Can I tell the story? Okay, I'm going to tell the story. Okay, so at least five of you. So this one guy comes to me. He's got this big theology. He says, well, he's read and he's looked at all this stuff. But he doesn't really believe that demons exist anymore. They, they're like an extinct species. So, so now I'm thinking like, how am I going to try to explain to this guy that there's a spiritual war and that war is for the souls of people and for your soul. Every day you are at war. If you haven't realized that as a Christian, you, you just read the scriptures. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So I, I thought like, I can't explain to this guy because he's a bit of an intellectual guy. And there's nothing wrong with, his, with intellect. But sometimes we place our intellect above our spirit. And about spiritual things, especially in the West, because we have dualism. We have a spiritual world and a natural world. And then we think like, yeah, yeah, on Sunday I'm going to be spiritual, but the rest of the week I'm just natural. And, um, and so, so I thought like, well, how am I going to convince this guy? And I thought, well, I can't convince him. But what I can do is I can pray for him. So what I did is I, I said, okay, are you willing to pray that we just pray that God would expose to you if there are something like demons, you know? So he says, yes, yes. I said, come stand here. So I took his hand. I remember, you know, it was on a Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. I said, Father, you're so good to us. But through your mercy and through your love and through, will you, will you please just say this guy is Peter. He's actually an elder of a church today in Namibia. I still have a regular contact with him because he grew up very fast after this story. But in any case, so... Um, so he, was, he's, he had a flat here in, um, right next to Kutzenberg Stadium there on, on uh, Linwood or something was the flat's name. So he went back, sat, had a, had a nice pineapple drink, you know, when he came back. And then, um, so he was just relaxing the Saturday evening. And the next moment, his flatmate walks in. And the flatmate um, goes to the door. And then the next moment, he takes the handle of the door and he rips off the handle of the door. He throws it out of the window and he talks in another voice and says, I am going to kill you today. And then he went to the kitchen with a big knife. And um, so Peter says, Peter, 
got the fright of his life <laughs> because he saw something <laughs> that was quite weird because it wasn't his flatmate talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> so Peter, for the rest of the night, was um, he ran out of there's a two bedroom flat, you know, and so he ran. He was on the second or third story, so he ran out. He closed, locked his door because his flatmate was banging on his door, and he stand, stood on the balcony for the whole evening praying, asking Jesus for mercy, saying, Lord. If ever there was a time, I know demons. <laughs> the whole night, he didn't sleep for one minute. The next morning, the Monday morning, when I came to the office, the office was still there back here. Yeah, Peter is standing against my office door and says, it's true. They exist. How can I learn more? <laughs> yeah. So, so just, you know, I think it was one of these big guys, John G. Lake, they also had this big theology school. And then the people said, hey, no, demons don't exist. And she said, okay, I'll just pray. And they prayed. And then there were so many manifestations and people were just like, so um, they called him back and says, okay, sir, please pray that these things go away because we don't know how to handle it. Yeah? Um, and the reason why I'm telling that story is because, you know, the spirit of unbelief in our midst robs us from a spirituality with God, which is our first nature. We are Christians. And if you read the ministry of Jesus, I tell you, you're going to need to deal with spiritual things. And you and I need to wake up to spiritual things. The things that are coming against the church, I tell you, if we don't wake up and become watchmen and learn to pray, and this is not a fear motivation, this is an invitation that you and I become ready in our prayer life. God wants to show you the most amazing stuff, but you and I need to wake up. We need to become watchmen. That's part of our ministry. It's part of our call as Christians to pray for a broken world, but first to stand before God, to make praises before Him, you know, to declare. Because maybe you're the only person in that block of flats that can pray for that block of flats. Maybe you're the only person in that neighborhood that can pray, walk that neighborhood. Then you better get up and start to say, hey, I'm going to do something about it because God has placed me here. So he's given me authority to be here. So some of you I know don't like what I am saying, but every believer is called to a lifestyle of worship and prayer. If you don't pray, you cannot call yourself a real Christian publicly. No, 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 but that's too hard to say stuff like that. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray day and night. Prayer is like breathing to the Christian. <laughs> no, no, but I have my two minutes conversation with God. No, that's just asking him. That's supplication maybe. Nothing wrong with asking God. That's not, but that's not prayer. That's not intercession. God is calling up watchmen to take up the challenges of today and face it head on. And I, I tell you, it is so exciting. It is so exciting when God begins to intervene, when you pray what God prays. Because Jesus is the high priest over his house. Jesus is making intercession. That's his job description in heaven. He's not drinking pineapple drinks and waiting for us to come back. Jesus is constantly, 24 hours, praying as the high priest over the church. He's praying for you. <laughs> now you have an opportunity to pray for the people around you. Now may, maybe... You think like, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm. then just start with five minutes a day. Start by praying for the people around you in your workplace. Ask God what's on his heart for them. And I tell you, sure, because part of that then also becomes witnessing. Tell the world, Matthew 18 says, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. It's the ministry of all believers, not just some. It's to pray for the lost, to pray for people around you, to minister to a broken world. Sure. It's, it's to stand in the gap and then to begin to testify of what God has done. Wow. You know, just now, before I came, one of the first years walked up to me and says, Do you know what? When I was in grade eight, I came to visit the church one day. And then you stopped and you spoke something over me just in the foyer. And you prayed a prayer for me that changed my life forever. I'm here today on this camp because of that one 30 seconds prayer that you prayed there in Bloomhoff in the foyer over my life. I'm thinking like, wow, God, when we hear God's voice and we pray, we speak it over somebody. When we begin to release God's word over this community, because more than ever, people are desperate to know what God is saying. <laughs> more than ever, people want to know the word of God. 
People are hungry. I tell you, people are so thirsty. People are thrown out there. They're hopeless. And the world is waiting for you and I to stick up our hands and say, hey, I, I'm there. I want to be used by God. And you know, some people think like, should I now go stand on the street corner? No, no, just start, stand right where you are. <laughs> Wake up every morning, five minutes. I remember I told the story so many times. I worked there in Somerset West and I just went 15 minutes before I went into the office. I would always close the office door, take oil and anoint the office and say, Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. I'm not inviting you to be here. You are here, and I'm laboring with you. This is just, I'm a financial manager, so this, Lord, you've called me. This is sacred. My work is sacred to you, and I'm doing it unto you. I'm not doing it for this past, but here today, Lord, let your kingdom come in this place. This is holy ground. Yo, and then the, the ladies, would that even the cleaning ladies, they would over lunch hour just come and sit in my office with all the fish and chips. It smelled like a fish and chips factory in my office, you know. But there was like a canteen and a lounge place. And then I asked this lady, one lady, Munira, I said, like, why, what, you know, why are you, why did you, are you coming here? There's such nice couches in there. She says, no, no, it's so peaceful here in your office. And I think like, I like that. I like that to partner that with the Lord, yeah. And even to today, some of those people are still contacting me when they're in trouble. When I left the job five years later, the boss came to me. And I never testified to him. They're like, that's the MD of this, of, you know, because he was, I was in two other companies and he was doing, and we were like a whole group of companies together. So, um, so when I left, uh, the, the boss called me in and said to me, um, do you know what? We've offered you double your salary, but you don't want to take it. But I just want to tell you, I knew, I knew. I said, what did you know? He says, I knew that you and that mechanic prayed every day over lunch hour for this company. And the reason why this company has prospered and more than five times double, ten times its turnover is because of your prayer. And then like, I just prayed with a dirty mechanic. But he knew it. Then he put a piece of paper over the table and he says, do you know, these are the 10 things we're going to change in this company to make it more godly. I'm thinking like, what? Because even the boss will begin to, and he wasn't like a believer. And I realized like, wow, the power of prayer. The power of standing in the gap. Now, the devil says to you, no, it doesn't really work, you know. God doesn't really like answer prayer. But I dare you, try. But don't pray for yourself. Let 80% of your prayers go for the people around you and see how your life will change. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit because he's the partner with prayer. And so witnessing and prayer is so important. The last one, are you still with me? It's called reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. Is, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ha. We are ambassadors. We connect people to the Father's heart. We minister forgiveness, celebration, affirmation, blessing upon people because we can become peacemakers. Not peacekeepers because peacekeepers are people that just avoid conflict. No, no. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. We don't become super spiritual and we don't come into pride because of what we know. We come with our brokenness. But we reconcile. We connect people to the Father's heart. We minister to them the love of Christ, for what Christ can do and forgive. And we affirm them and we bless them. We have the power to speak blessing. That's why Scripture says, I even pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. <laughs> Sure, that's tough, eh? My enemies, what? No, Lord, bless them far away from me. <laughs> uh-uh, bless your enemies. Isn't the gospel radical? Because something begins to happen when you bless your enemies. You give them an opportunity to receive God's forgiveness now. You give them an opportunity to be reconciled to God now and not to fall under the wrath of God one day when judgment comes. Wow, but that's tough, Lord. But, you know, I've got so many issues. I've, you know, have you, have you not noticed how wounded I am? And, and I tell you, the quickest way to your restoration and healing in your own heart is when you begin to realize from the word go, your doctrine doesn't even need to be in place. You start to become a priest. Start to say to God, God, I realize I've taken one step in the kingdom. 
And you know what, Lord? I can lead other people in that one step. I remember when I preached the first sermon, I preached, oh, God, my doctrines were so skewed, I didn't even know, you know. Woo. If I, you know, I deleted some of those sermons, <laughs> something like, how on earth, you know. And then the people that allowed me to preach realized like, yo, you know, they, they were very gracious. I was very tense. I would just have to tell you because I was still a student in my third year. And then the pastor said to me, oh, see us, you are going to preach this Sunday. I said, what? Get behind me. Mm, you know, <laughs> you have obviously not heard the Lord, you know. And that Sunday, all of them are sitting in the front row, all these like the zone leader pastor pastor's wife he invited two other pastors and i thought lord if there's ever a time ever a time to rapture us it is now i was waiting for the rapture to happen five minutes to six i was walking up and down i was walking up and down matthew you were not even born then yeah i was walking up and down i thought lord a rapture 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 i wasn't even praying for the service i just said lord take me home right now I'm, you know, into your hands, I commit my spirit. <laughs> uh, the poor cameraman, I never stood still. I just looked up and down and up and down. And I thought like, oh, this must be the word. And it was, it was, it was such a bad sermon. I must tell you, I, I was very passionate. There was so much passion. There was so much zeal. The scriptures were all like all over the place. And, and, uh, and I thought like, whoa, this is crazy, you know. And then, um, then I made an altar call. Oh, some of you that has known me for a while, I like a sticky altar call, you know. And I realized, like, hey, when, when you realize people meet with Jesus, that's when their lives change. You know, it's, um, it's not about the fancy sermons. It's not about, you know, those things are so important. Our theology must be, must be biblical, you know. And I had to go and repent of some of those false doctrines I brought into the church. But um, the crazy thing is there was an article of people responding more than ever in the last year of people just coming to weep and break because why god used my brokenness god decided well he's going to use that guy because he is clearly now dependent on me <laughs> you know? i i think i changed the sermon about five times in the week every day i changed the sermon i probably didn't sleep like for the whole week now I, I think i slept like 10 hours the whole week you know i was so sleep deprived because I was just thinking like, oh, you know, the lightning is going to strike me if I get the wrong sermon. Then I realized it's much more. God works in you to work through you. And what he's done in your life, you have a testament, but the devil wants to rob you from that. The devil wants to rob the average believer to think that their testimony is really nothing. You know, because I grew up in a normal home and I went to a normal school and a normal church. But you know, no, most other people are quite normal out there, just trying to make a living. They haven't like drank satanic blood when they were 12 and then went to visit the second heaven when they were 14 and then killed another 40 people when they were 16 and then, you know, went up into the abyss and into Sheol and right through, you know, and then, you know. Um, most people are quite normal people, but they're desperate for Jesus. That's what I love what Angus says. He says, you're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Just tell people where to find the bread. Tell them there's water over there. It's Jesus. Come get. <laughs> there's enough for you. <laughs> you know? Because this is what he's done in my life. Yeah, yeah, but it's more complicated than that, you know, because you have not read Romans chapter 9. Election. Predestination. I can't preach the gospel because, you know, there's some people that really, Jesus chose them to go to heaven and others to hell. What a bit of hogwash. And I'm someone saying it. Right here. There's a movement in the church and in this town that wants to go back to Reformed theology and deny the working of the Holy Spirit and go deep into Calvinism. And, and you know, it's fine if you struggle with that things on your own. But if you defile other people's lives, a young believer that wants to come to Jesus and you tell him, well, you don't understand the gospel and therefore you don't understand the wrath of God and therefore you can't get saved. I will kick you out of the church very quickly. That nonsense, that leaven of the Pharisees will not be tolerated in this place. Because, you know, as we are sitting, there are 200 people hungry for God, busy repenting of their sins, giving their lives to Jesus. And they're hungry for God. And God will use anybody. God, you know who was the first greatest evangelist in the church? In, in the New Testament, it was a woman. It 
was the woman at the well. Now people want to say to me, no, women can't preach and women can't pray and women can't do that. She went to a city and she said, come, there's a man who told me all things I ever did. And she brought out the whole city to get saved. Now, if that's not ministry, what is it? Oh, it's a thought of my imagination because Jesus wants to judge the church by using women. I'm thinking, what? The ladies in Iran are running that church. And it is crazy. People are getting visitations from Jesus. People are being, they, they, they're all talking about the fire in his eyes and how they're changing lives. And they're giving up their lives for Christ, you know. So some of you think, like, why is he getting so angry? I'm getting angry when believers get so intellectual and so spiritually full of pride that they can't see where God moves. Because if God uses a nine-year-old, God can use you. You know, the most profound moment, I want to sh- end with this. In my life was, no, not when I got born again, was probably the most, oh, there are many other profound moments. But one of the profound moments in my life was there in Bloemerville. And I remember a week where I just, I was on the verge of burnout. And, you know, and if you burn out, you just just sort of like you're not resting in God or relying on the Holy Spirit. You're relying on your own strength, you know. So, so I was just in that place, a bad place. So many burdens of the ministry and of other people. It was good stuff, you know. And I remember just stressing, not sleeping, lacquer, taking a lot of burdens on myself. And, um, and so I was standing there and everybody started to worship. And it was crazy. So, so now I'm, I'm supposed to go and preach the morning. And so this, um, the worship is almost at the end. And this young little boy, I think he's probably eight, seven, eight, or maybe nine, comes here from Clutusville. He walks up to me and he takes my... my pants like this and he pulls my pants you know and he says um he says to me pastor why are you worrying so much the lord showed me there's some burdens on you that you need to be delivered of i'm thinking like here we go (laughs) and he says do you know why i'm telling you this because this morning when i walked into the church somebody greeted me and as I was walking into the church, I, I heard this man greeting me, and I walked past the man. And then when I, I stopped and I looked around, and I saw that he has got bare feet. When I looked at his feet, I saw there's a hole in his one foot. And I looked at the other foot, and I realized there's another hole. And then I looked up, and I saw in his hands that there were holes in his hands. And I went to put my fingers in those holes, and I started to believe and I realized that Jesus is standing at the door and he's the priest over his house. Why are you stressing so much? I fell down. I wept. There was a puddle of water because <laughs> I realized Jesus is in control. You know what? We want to get more spiritual and intellectual than Jesus. <laughs> we want to sort of like use the Bible as his as a tool of truth, but without any love. And then we're disqualified. So my question tonight to you is, are you willing to go where God will, sometimes use your nine-year-old or people that you have never thought, the most, some other profound, I can tell you stories of people that were so not even Christians that brought the most profound words to me. On the street, and this guy doesn't know the Lord because I knew it because every second word was a swear word, you know. And I'm thinking, like, what? I thought, like, okay, Lord, if you can use a donkey, you can use this man. <laughs> yeah. But see, when we become proudful, when we become intellectually like, hey, I'm this old Christian. I've read through the Bible ten times. I've, I've, I've been there, you know. Then we can miss the move of God. We can miss the working of the Holy Spirit. Because why we miss intimacy with Him and we miss intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because we become so philosophical, we become so... I'm not saying those things are bad. Please don't, you know, nothing wrong with Calvinism and nothing wrong with wrestling through predestination and election and Romans chapter 9. But if you make a young believer to stumble, you're in trouble with God. That's what Scripture says. Why? Because children can come to God. And if you and I want to come to God, the basis of why we come is being childlike, being worshippers, being people that stand with clean hands and pure hearts before his throne room. And see, the devil wants to defile us and do lots of other stuff. But 
I want to invite you tonight to uh, the most profound, risky, adventurous lifestyle. But we need to repent of our unbelief. We need to repent of forsaking the ministry of the believers. Why? Because we become consumers. We say, Lord, what's in it for me? And, you know, I want to be hyped up. You know, some of the churches, they play worldly music before you, the church starts. And then they go in and then they psych you up to worship and jump up and down. You go out there and you realize, like, wow, there's been a really great Christian music. There's been great, really great encouragement stories and even testimonies. The only problem is, was God really there? The only problem is the fear of God really there. Does God really feel welcome in the believer's life? Oh, and Jesus wants to be a high priest over your life. And it's, it's, it's such a wake-up call. And we can see it. We can see it. I'm, I'm saying it very strongly tonight. But the church in the West, we are backslidden. We have adopted the culture of the world. And we can see it in our prayer life. We are not a praying church. And I'm including myself. I'm not pointing fingers because the last six months, God has been really challenging me. And he's waking me up in the middle of the morning, waking me up in the middle of the night. And I'm praying for people. And sometimes I'm just praying in the spirit. Sometimes I'm, I realize like, Lord, this is life. <laughs> this is the core of the believer, not just the pastor, to begin to pray, to begin to seek the face of God, to begin to cry out. But, you know, we have Netflix and we have cell phones and we have all this stuff. I'm going to end off with the last story. When um, Stephen Lunga's wife uh, died, she went to heaven and she didn't say a lot of things except that they knew for 48 hours while she was in a coma, the, the, for 48 hours she just used one word because it eventually had to tie her hands to the hospital bed because she wanted to put her hands in front of her face all the time. She just said the word wow, <laughs> wow, when she saw an open vision of heaven. Wow. Eventually they tied her hands because she was plucking out all the pipes and all the stuff, you know, because of her revelation of heaven. We've lost the wow of God and of heaven. Wow. But when she came back, she said, tell the believers. There were three things. I'm going to just tell one. That she, let me tell two. The first thing she said, she must tell the church. She hasn't spoken anything else about it. Except three things. The first thing is, she was shocked to see how few pastors she thought would be in heaven were not in heaven. Super pastors. Super preachers. The second thing was, tell the church to start switching off their cell phones. <laughs> They're distracted. They're not praying anymore. And the third thing you can ask yourself, hallelujah. Let's stand tonight. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.